Hello and welcome to the Talkie Talk podcast, courtesy of TheMediaBios.com. <laughs> That's us. I'm Brent. This is Chris. Hey. This is TJ. TJ, welcome back, Chris. Thanks. It's been a while. It yeah. It's been a while. I've been indisposed. Yeah. We're going to be talking about things we've been watching, and we're going to follow it up with some news and recommendations for your movie theater. And uh, then we will end the podcast with silence, <laughs> as normal. So, just getting you prepared for what's coming. And uh, who wants to start? Okay, TJ. Let's go in like reverse order of, of length here. Yeah, I've watched a lot, but I'm not going to talk about a lot of it. I'm going to talk about a TV show and a movie. Uh, TV show is one that aired... Um, I think in 2016 was its first season. It was a Nat Geo show called Mars. And it is a very interesting uh, like template for a TV show. It is half fiction about the first manned mission to Mars, which takes place in the year 2033, and half documentary about uh, mainly about SpaceX and Elon Musk. Although, as I've watched, I watched the episode last night, it's uh, more just about like current efforts to get to Mars and the troubles that they think will arise and then it will flash forward to the future and they'll encounter those problems. Um, it's super technical. Yeah. Um, so it's unlike any Mars fiction you've seen, probably. But uh, I'm, I'm enjoying it so far. It's, it's, it's interesting. For sure. Yeah. So unlike Doom, my number one Mars fiction, <laughs> there are no demons that they anticipate. No aliens. No portals to hell. No. But there are kind of portals. They they talk about how they have to find uh, volcanic tubes on Mars to set up shop in because they'll be close to the ice that's under the, the <clears throat> subsurface ice on Mars. Okay. Um, they pretty much have to set up near that. Just for some like geothermal like energy for... Uh, like for like heating something so it's livable, yeah. like in the on the dark side, right? Because Mars is super fucking cold, super super cold. It gets down to like zero degrees Celsius at night. I said, yeah, um, or in the day, the hottest part of the day, and that's like at the equator. Yeah, on the hottest part of the day, it's freezing. Um, yeah, it's it's interesting. The the acting's fine. It's a bunch of people you nobody you know. Yeah. Um. But it's good. They covered things like right now, Elon Musk, the robot that he is, is like, oh, people will die. Like they just will. Right. There's a planet that's actively trying to kill you. Yeah. Pretty much. Um. So, yeah, it's 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 interesting. It's a it's a weird watch. It's streaming on Netflix. Give it a go. It's like six episodes a season for two seasons. They're forty five minutes long. Nice. Is I, it just called Mars? Yeah. Okay. I had previously talked about the podcast I listened to. Um, I listened to it too. Was, yeah, the, yeah. The Gimlet Media. Fuck, I forget what it's called. Surviving Mars, maybe? Maybe. Um, Where they go stay in Hawaii, like on yeah. a volcanic... They, they simulate being in, like, the uh, like the living situation. Yeah. And, like, the difficulty with, like, trying to walk around the surface with the technology we have. It is super interesting. Um, <laughs> I'm so happy that I'm back and we still have cat flybys. <laughs> uh, yeah, the, the, the format... Kind of the genre bending is, I think, the most interesting thing about it. Um, yeah, it is weird. And Elon Musk is a weird interview, man. He is super smart, but he is, like, the actual, like, living Ozymandias. Yeah. Where he's just like, people will die and it is worth it. Yeah. Like, there's no doubt. Right. Uh, this is something that's going to have to happen or humanity will die. Like, the, the odds of a like massive extinction event don't matter because there are odds. Yeah. Means at some point it will happen and we need to make sure people are on Mars when it does and lives are kind of irrelevant. Yeah. Just like fuck. Yeah. <laughs> You're crazy, man. Yeah. <laughs> um but yeah, it's 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 super super interesting. They do the editing well enough that it's not super jarring. Nice. They they had a show on Nat Geo for a while that I like kind of hated. Um, it was basically like a big what if show, and it would be like, what if there is life on Venus? Like, what would they? What would the organisms look like? 
and then they would remember that. And then they would cut, and they would show like an artist recreation, and like this is how they would walk around they because would have of the to breathe gas, so right? Look like this, yeah. and it was like it was a little goofy because it was just like I think it was probably because it was so foreign that this seems a little more grounded. Even though the people who were working on that other show were also scientists and probably cryptozoologists and everything that they could get their hands on, because Natchez has infinite Disney money, mm. um, but it's, it sounds really neat. Yeah, worth a watch for sure. And then I watched uh, one movie that I think Chris saw too, um, and I, right now I want to call it Unstoppable, which is not what it's called. <laughs> it's called Longshot. Yeah, um, starring Seth Rogen and Charlize Theron. Uh, among others, the general plot is uh, Seth Rogen is a journalist who makes his living like uncovering stories. Undercover journalist. Yeah. was his job. And Charlie Theron is the Secretary of State who was Seth Rogen's babysitter. They meet by chance and fall in love. And Seth Rogen plays the Seth Rogen character he plays in a lot of movies. He's kind of a stoner, but this one's, he's very intelligent. A very good writer. Right. He has a very unique voice to his writing style. Yeah. Um, and very, like, relatable writing, which yeah. is what they're looking for when she decides she's running for president, when the current president, Bob Odenkirk, decides he's going to yeah. retire. It's actually a really funny character, Bob Odenkirk's president, because he's an action star turned uh, turned uh, uh, politician. And so he's trying to recreate, basically... The scenarios where he exceeded and excelled as an action star being the president as the president now. It's, it's a funny take on the celebrity becomes president. Yes. And that it's like, what if like Bruce Willis became president? Yeah. And it's like, ah, fuck. <laughs> I don't know. But it's probably in my top ten of the year so far. I fucking loved it. I thought it was... I don't think it'll be in my top ten at the end of the year, but... Right. It was super endearing. The I love both those actors. Um... Yeah, Charlie's there and and him. Yeah, they, they and they kind of resolve the romance part of it a little early, which I appreciated. That's um, not the plot. Yeah, the will they won't they isn't the a plot, which is which is kind of cool. Um, it's it's more just about um, both characters' long shots. It's about like is she electable and is he going to get the girl? Um, and then the is he going to get the girl is like oh well that was achievable. Um, right. Not to spoil too much. But, I mean, it's a romantic comedy. You assume some things going into it. And it happens in the first half hour. Yeah. Um, definitely recommend it. It's uh, on pay to stream right now all over the place. Yeah. So you can rent it for a few bucks if you are interested. I watched a lot more, but that's all I want to talk about, I believe. I watched uh, a few movies. Um, I uh, And I don't want to spend too long in any of them. First, uh, so I've been kind of catching up on some directors... Uh, well-known directors, just some stuff of theirs I've missed over the years. And so I started with uh, M. Night Shyamalan. And so I was a big fan of his first, well, not his first three movies, but his first three movies I was aware of, which were Sixth Sense, Unbreakable, and Signs. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Always really liked those movies. And I like The Village more than a lot of people like The Village, but I don't love The Village. Uh, But I uh, (laughs) went back and started catching up on his movies and... um, so I started with his second movie, uh, which is called Wide Awake. It's a 1998 movie about a kid at a Catholic school who decides, after his grandpa dies, that he needs to investigate God, like, try to find God. Okay. And yeah. it's... I don't know what this movie is. This is going to be... Just keep going. Uh, sorry. <laughs> Do you really gave us the keep going signal, but we wanted to see how this cat yeah, worked out. That's the, my favorite part. Yeah, Kelly specifically told me it was her favorite part of that episode when we had the cat fly by. Yeah. He covered up the cat's mouth. <laughs> okay. Uh, I'd never heard of this movie, Wide Awake. I'd never heard of it either. Um, so he had done a movie in the early 90s that was like a student film thing, but he got produced and he made it into an actual movie where he starred himself and uh but this movie starts this like kid and rosie o'donnell is on the cover of the but she's like the sixth billed person in the movie maybe she's a teacher at the school and she really loves baseball okay and uh boy i don't know what this movie is supposed to be or who it's for it's not good um there are moments where it's okay but then it's just like is this like 
comedy for kids? Not really. It deals with some heavy shit. Is it like deep enough for adults? Not really. It's kind of kidsy. And so I do not recommend Wide Awake at all. That movie is not good. Good to know. You're not missing anything on that. Rewatch The Sixth Sense. That movie is still great. Tony Collette's acting in the car is incredible. Oh, when she finds out about her mother? Yes. Yeah. When she really realizes that he's that uh, he's not lying. That he's not lying. He's legit. And uh, that scene where yeah, he talks. He relays a message from her mother to her. She says she saw you dance or whatever. So what is the line? Yeah, but the best part is uh, she was like she's like don't joke about that. And he says uh, she said that you sometimes come ask her a question at where she's buried and her answer is every day and he's like and she starts crying and uh, he's like what do you ask her and she's like I ask her if I make her proud yeah and that's when I'm just like ah! <laughs> I start crying because Tony Collette's so good in that scene she is a great actress underrated but movie's still great um, I finally watched Lady in the Water okay TJ has recommended for a long time recommended is hard I've said it's one of my favorites I don't I don't I understand why it is disliked by the masses. Yeah. Have you seen it, Chris? I have. Do you like it? No. Yeah. <laughs> I can I can see both of both sides of that. I um found it to be more entertaining than I expected as far as like really staying glued to it, watching to see what would happen next. Like it never bored me. Right. And I kind of always thought it would, but I can also I had Issues with M. Night Shyamalan's hubris in that movie that I could not get past, which was making himself the writer who saves the world, basically. Yes. And that's like the, the thing that that I know was probably most people's major issue with that movie. Um, but I liked Paul Giamatti in it, even though... His stutter is insufferable. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that was bad. Yeah. The other thing's interesting, I think, is, I'm realizing now, I think that like... If people didn't like the movie for something that has nothing to do with the film, which is interesting, like nothing to do with the movie making, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I mean, which is I'm not saying it's a good or a bad thing. If there's something you can't get over, that's right. fine. You know, Donald Trump could star in some amazing movie. I'm gonna not like it because Donald Trump's in it. Home Alone too. It's just not a star. Okay, <laughs> not a starring role. <laughs> It would, yeah, I'm trying to compare, I don't know, it's hard to find a comparison for this movie, and like... Bad fantasy movie? Well, no, like, it's hard to find a comparison for, like, that, where it's just, like, a movie where a part of the movie is such an obvious reaction to, like, outside movie stuff. Right. Like, it's a reaction to people not liking the village enough. Sure. Because a lot of that movie is just like, it, I mean, it is that the sort of the message of like, uh, this is a writer who's just not appreciated by his current generation enough, but people generations from now will will adore him, and putting himself in that role is just really like I think we're supposed to get that message from it. Because why else is he in that role? Right. Well, does, that, I mean, does that make sense? Yeah, but uh, are you looking for a reason to figure out why he's the role in any of his movies? No, I'm, 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 I'm saying that if you know you're saying that it's not related to something in the movie, but I'm, I think sometimes that I would argue that it is part of the movie. Hidden, if the movie is a metaphor for, for how we respond to M. Night Shyamalan's movies. Mm. Well, I can say with confidence that what how the movie was written is M. Night Shyamalan started telling his kid bedtime stories and didn't think that bedtime stories were, like, he either ran out or wasn't, like, inspired. So he wrote his own, and he basically wrote it as he went along. Mm-hmm. So putting himself in the movie, A, makes sense if you're telling a story about, like, to your kids. Why wouldn't you want the, the reader, your speaker, that your dad to be the hero... And B, that's why it feels super fucking cobbled together. Which I think is something that's extemporaneous to the actual movie itself, but is also the thing that hurts it the most for me. Is it felt like such a, and then there's a great Tortuga, and then the great Eglon, and then, 
And that's the part that I have a problem with. Mm, that's mythology to me, though. That's how all those fucking stories are. Oh, sure. So, like, I, that didn't bother me at all, because that's literally how fantasy has worked forever. You know what I mean? <clears throat> I, it's like, and then there were stables, and he had to clean them. Like, yeah. that story's not great. It's just the thing. Yeah. I loved the story. I thought the story was five stars. I liked um, the build-up of the story. I didn't love the resolution, I guess. I didn't love... It was a little underwhelming when we found out who was in each role, I guess. And I was just sort of like, okay. I didn't have issues with it. But it was just like, eh, it didn't really knock my socks off or anything. I always took the metaphor in that movie is to do what you want to do regardless. Like, do do what you do, kind of. Yeah. You know what I mean? Keep working out your one arm, weird guy. Yeah. Yeah. It'll, it might work out at some point. Or like Paul Giamatti, like, stop hiding your fucking feelings and good shit will come to you. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Or write, even if you're not appreciated, and you want to write, write. Yeah. Yeah, be true to yourself. Yeah. Because it was a place full of people that weren't being true to themselves, except for the one guy who was being true to himself when he was just silent in his apartment, ignoring everybody. He right. didn't want to fucking be bothered. You know? Mm-hmm. So that's what I took from it. I didn't, I don't, and I don't believe that he wrote a movie talking about how people didn't like the village and came out with that. It may have been, like, subliminal, but I don't think there was any intent on him for that. No, I don't think it was intentional. And if it's not intentional, then we're not supposed to watch it that way. Supposed to, which is the word we've been using. You know what I mean? I just think he... I think he naturally... Even in in his mind, a fictional character who is misunderstood and not appreciated enough, but will be one day, I think he just naturally, for obvious reasons took a liking to that character. Yeah. And it was like, I identify with this character. Because um, I think everybody... So if he didn't direct it, or write it, you think you'd like it more? Um, but still st- but still had a role in it? Yeah. Or, uh, or they just then... So, so that's my point, is that I don't think it has much to do with the movie making. You're having to use outside knowledge to... Yeah. Which is a fine. I'm not saying it's a bad way to watch a movie. Right. But I'm saying it's not active in the film. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, I don't know. Interesting. Right. It's like, would I like Roma less if I if I didn't know it was Alfonso Cuarón's like, childhood being sort of on screen? Right. And the answer is maybe. Yeah. Slightly. Not much. But I don't know. Yeah, almost that like every creative puts a piece of them in the work they create. Maybe this was too much. Yeah, I, I think where it's where the reason I try to not do that much is because I can't watch every movie that way because I'm not going to read a bio on the guy who directed what the fuck ever. You know yeah. what I mean? Mm-hmm. I have no idea who directed Longshot. Right. You know, and also because because it does change it because if the director of Longshot was hypothetically. The guy who was like the young twenty-five-year-old speechwriter for Obama—it's like it changes. It could change things, right? But I, and it could be—I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> he could have written that movie. <laughs> but like, no one's gonna watch Joker and be like, "Oh, this is Todd Phillips all over the place. This is him writing his own life story." When it's like he's intentionally writing for a completely fictionalized character, right? Taking himself out of it, except for you know inspiration. So why would these two movies be evaluated using the same criteria when one is clearly not and one clearly is? Like, why does it matter? Right. Yeah, and it matters because people watch movies, and maybe maybe it only matters to the person watching when they notice it. Yeah, I mean, it super mattered to me in the uh, first Reformed. I mean, that was like I, you know, spent a lot of time after I watched it and appreciated the movie more after the fact, reading so much about Paul Schrader. Um, But yeah, I don't know. Neat, good question. I mean, we talk about does like evaluate the art of the artist a lot on this podcast. Um, yeah, especially these days. And this huge. and this is such a commingling of the two that, you know, do you do you make the choice to excise it or if you don't notice it, do you make the choice to investigate? Right. Well, after Lady in the Water, <laughs> M. Night Shyamalan's choice was the happening. It's just bad. So Lady <laughs> in the Water seemed much better after watching the happening. Oh man. Yeah. The movie's so bad. At yeah. one point, as I did have a little moment of doubt there, I was like, "This movie's terrible. This movie's terrible." Just from from the beginning, and it was consistently terrible. 
And then Mark Wahlberg walked into a room and calmly tried to calm down a plant. And I was like, wait, is this great? <laughs> <laughs> Have I been wrong this whole time? Is this the SNL skit and say hi to your mother for me? Because he, he was talking real soft yeah. to it. He was like, now don't be alarmed. Don't be alarmed. It's going to be okay. I'm just here. I just want to talk. And I'm like, oh, this could be a masterpiece. And then he kept talking and I realized, nope, it's still dog shit. Also, the thing that bugged me most about that movie is like, okay, cool. People want to kill themselves. Wait, none of this makes sense. Like, yeah, nope. The lion one, where they like—that's the one I always point to, which is so dumb. Like oh. when he like dangles his arm in front of the line, it's like no. If you want to kill yourself, you just punch that line in the face, or you would just go to the nearest building and jump off head first. Or the old lady <laughs> who's like, "I'll just be in my bedroom if you want to rape and murder me, I'll be in there." It's like, what the fuck? Like someone wrote that, put it in front of like producers, and they were like, "Good to go, green light." The yeah. sad thing is that movie starts off really well. It's a. F- it's in a, New York when uh, people just start flying off the buildings and whatnot. And yeah. The, the way that's shot and the way that construction worker down at the bottom, you know, yeah. ground level, he's like dealing with like bodies flying off. It's really compelling at the start. And then, boy, it just takes a swan dive. It just yeah. hit me. So like, we all met playing trivia. Most listeners know that. But uh, me and Brent still write. And you know, Brent, sometimes you'll write a trivia question. You'll be like, this is a great idea for a question. And you'll spend five minutes on it. And you'll be like, there's nothing here. Yeah. I just can't make this a question. That was I the feel- script for the happening. Yeah. He yeah. was like, ooh, people want to kill themselves. Ooh, that sounds fun for a horror movie. It's like, how do we execute it? Oh, we can't. <laughs> we can't uh, make it good. Remake Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Yeah. <laughs> like, everybody is so bad in that movie, too. Zoe Deschanel is really bad. And I, yeah. I like Zoe Deschanel. I do too. Mark she... Wahlberg's a great actor in lots of movies. Mm-hmm. Not this one. I feel like you're you're being a little strong on his side with great actor, but he should have at least been good enough to. Ha- he is at least good enough to handle what this should have been. He has great. He has more than three fantastic performances. I think that turns him into yeah. a great actor. I mean, he's great in The Departed. He's great in Boogie Nights. True. He's great in The Fighter. Yeah. Yeah. Great in Three Kings. He's, he can fucking act. I've yeah, seen him do right. it multiple times, multiple right. roles. And, and what's weird is M. Night was pretty good at getting performances out of people. Yeah. You know? He can direct. He, like, can, he, can do, he can do moods and tones, and he can direct actors pretty well, uh, for the most part. But this movie, it's just, it is so off the mark. I, want, I, I, I kind of agree with the acting, although I immediately go to Bruce Willis, and I'm like, nah, he just casted that one right. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I need somebody quiet. Solemn, yeah, <laughs> kind of boring. I think Haley Joel is good in Sixth Sense. I think uh, Tony Collette's great in Sixth Sense. Yeah, Sam Jackson's um, great in Unbreakable. The mm-hmm. kids in Signs are fantastic. That little girl, what's her, Abigail Breslin? Yeah, yeah. is incredible in that movie. Milk is really good in Signs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Science really the great. weakest. The weakest actor in his movies typically is in Night Shyamalan, <laughs> especially, <laughs> especially in Signs. Um, he's not in Signs much, at least. <laughs> you don't have to deal with it that often. Yeah, I wonder. It's that thing where he's like, "I don't know what happened." She, I must have fallen asleep. Oh, the DUI guy. Yeah, I forgot that was even his role because I just remember that whole scene is just. I, I hate that whole part of signs. Yeah. Um, the but, uh, I do like him in the his line in signs when he's like, "Don't go in the pantry. I lock one in there." <laughs> he drives away. <laughs> well, just when you thought the happening was the worst that M Night Shyamalan could make, I watched The Last Airbender. <sighs> And that might be the worst movie I've seen in a very long time. I'm a huge proponent of finishing movies before you review them. I've never finished that movie. I've started it three times. I quit when the Earth people start revolting. Um, so I don't know what happens. It's really boring. It's yeah. really boring. Um, there's just constant exposition. Instead of showing us anything cool, it's just like people just talking about things. That's the fucking worst. Um... They're just like, don't do this. You might die. And she's like, I'll just become the. I could become the moon goddess. And it's like, okay, well, she'll be, she becomes the moon goddess. And I was like, but why do I care if she dies or what the moon goddess is? You never, you never got to that point to make me care about any of this, <laughs> or really know who any of these characters are. Any of them. They're all just real boring. They none of them have anything interesting about them at all. Which, and I've never seen the show. And I heard that the show characters were all great. Yeah, you should really watch the show. I, was, I, I hate being that guy. No. But this is a completely different movie. The only thing they have in common is that there are four nations that are based on the main elements. The Fire Nations are the bad guys. Um, and 
there are people who can control those elements, and then the title. So, like, the general rubric of the show is the same as the movie, but everything else completely different. Is the last airbender in the show one that can wield all four? So, so the the premise of the show is that there's firebenders, waterbenders, earthbenders, and there used to be airbenders until the Fire Nation wiped out all the airbenders. Because, like, the, the best airbender is able to control all of them. But the show isn't about someone who can control all of them. Okay. The show is about, like, trying to, like, prevent the Fire Nation from, like, enacting its genocidal plan to become the only people who can control elements. Okay. Um, and so that's, that's the premise of the show. And then it just kind of goes from there. Um, like, they don't even have, like, like it's all, like, about, it's, they're all kids. So it's all, like, apprenticeship. And there's, like, the active adversary of the prince from the Fire Nation who's been tasked with eliminating the main character, Aang, who's the airbender, the last airbender. But there's no special property to being the last one. You just are the last one. Right. Um, so it's it's a really good show. It's the, the main theme of the show is just about, like, you know, family is who you love, not who you're born with. And it's, like, it's a great kind of, like, buddy story about all these people who kind of slowly kind of coalesce into this group who are have unified principles of, you know, let's not commit genocide. <laughs> and it's it's a great show. And then I also watched the movie, I think I watched it twice now, just not for, you know, on purpose, but once on purpose and once because it was on. And holy shit, it's so... It's an example of taking source material and just picking out pieces of it and then assembling something completely new and it's just a separate bad movie that unfortunately tarnishes the reputation of the show. Right. I would compare it almost... Uh, obviously, since I've never seen the original show, I don't know the disappointment that must have come with that movie. But it must be on par with when TJ and I saw The Dark Tower. I'm sure. Yeah. It's like... Probably like on... Like, this fit. Yeah. Whatever, whatever is like the ultimate authority, I bet it's in the top ten animes of all time. And for that to like, same with like Dark Tower being top ten sci-fi series of all time, and then that comes out, and you're like, "What the fuck were you doing?" Yeah. Well, I wasn't able to find After Earth, and I was not willing to pay for that because I've heard that's pretty much it's very bad, pretty bad it. as yeah, well. And uh, Jaden Smith leading that, yeah, and Will. And I've I've seen the newer movies, so I didn't rewatch them. But I've filled in a lot. They got of my better life. after After Earth. Yeah, the, the the Visitors was a fine little horror movie. The Visit, yeah, The Visit, The yeah. Visit's a good little movie. Um, and then Split Split's was very good, great. Uh, when he took a so he took a break from directing and started producing student films out of uh, schools in Philly because that's his hometown. Uh, I thought The Devil was a fun movie. It's a movie that takes place all in an elevator. Oh, right. It's a cool little movie he that like he EP'd. produced or something. I think he wrote it, didn't he? Or I, I think that it. it was the student team. Yeah, he co-wrote it because I think he helped the student team. Because yeah. that's all... That was a fun, fun movie. Yeah. I mean, not, not great. Not but terrific, fun. but fun little horror movie about yeah. elevator horror. Um, and uh, I've started another director's uh, oeuvre, <laughs> and that is the Wachowskis. Uh, the Wachowski sisters. Um, st- I watched Bound. I've never seen Bound. Um, it's pretty good. I, don't know, I would recommend it, especially if you are watching it, thinking of them like doing it sort of as an audition for the Matrix. Because mm-hmm. apparently the story is they went to uh, whatever company eventually made the Matrix. I forget who it is. If it's Warner Brothers, maybe. But they went to them mm-hmm. and they're just like, "We love this idea. This sounds like something cool." Um, you guys have never made a movie. <laughs> How do you do this? Yeah. We can't trust you to just do this. And so they're like, okay, well, just give us like $2 million and we'll make this little noir that we've also written. Yeah. Um, and Bound's really good. It's uh, it's not great. It's just, it's good. Yeah. Um, but there are definitely some camera shots and tricks in it that, that like, oh, you can definitely see how this evolved into bullet time stuff, which is weird in the movie Bound. That's fun. But there's like a scene where you're just like following Joe Pentoliano's arm with a gun from like person to person and then it falls backward and so it's doing some interesting camera movement uh, at one point that swivels around a character. <laughs> nice. nice. And I was like, I know that shot. <laughs> I've seen that before. I've seen that. 
And so then uh, whoever it is gave them a lot of money after that movie, and they made the Matrix movies. Which the first one is, I think, still a masterpiece. Uh, one of the best movies of the last 30 years. And the next two are pretty disappointing. So what, I've rewatched those. That's the last things I've watched is uh, Reloaded and Revolutions. Reloaded, not as bad as I remember it being. I've heard it compared to a video game movie because it is just like, here's an objective, and then they go do it. And then here's a new objective. And it's just like, go protect the guy with the keys. And go find the Merovingian, who's the most boring villain ever. But he, but he makes people eat orgasm cake. Yeah. Hey. Hey. Yeah. <laughs> give me that cake. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm... Saying. Give me that cake. I'll stay in the Matrix. Eat orgasm cake. Yeah, man. Uh, Cypher? Is that the, the guy who double-crosses in the first yeah. movie? He really got a raw deal when he was like, give me steak. He could have had orgasm cake. Right. <laughs> Always take orgasm cake. Yeah. Read the whole menu, that's, Joe that's the, that, that, Read that's, the end. That's the Eddie Izzard joke, right? Is orgasm cake or death? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, those are examples of movies like they get lost, too lost in the mythology, like too lost trying to come up with all the things to resolve the stuff, and you lose the fun of the movie. Are you oh. talking about Airbender, Lady in the Water, and yeah. both uh, Matrix sequels? Because yep. you're right about all four. <laughs> um, the uh, it's like what was the fun of the Matrix? Being in the Matrix, doing cool shit in the Matrix. Morpheus doing cool stuff. Yeah, reading and breaking the code is the best part of the Matrix. And Neo doing cool stuff. The problem is Neo figures out the matrix at the end of the matrix and so there's like well we can't we kind of can't have him doing too much in the matrix now in the next two movies because he's He's superman he's superman yeah and then i don't know why they couldn't have morpheus do anything but morpheus gives a speech about 30 minutes into matrix reloaded and then sits in a chair for the next movie and a half and it's really irritating that morpheus is reduced to just almost like commentating on the action that is taking place. Yeah. Those movies are really disappointing. Uh, I kind of like Reloaded a little bit, but not a ton. And then I I actively dislike Revolutions. Pretty bad. Um, But that's it. Sorry I talked so much on those guys. No no worries, man. I found both those directors interesting. I'm I'm interested to see where the Wachowskis go from here, because... I know it, they just doubled down on their weirdness. Like uh, Sensei is bonkers. Yeah. So I'm curious to see. But whenever I'll continue with that whenever Speed Racer becomes available. Man, before you do that, I really recommend. I know that it's not in your like in your path, but you know because you you took a foray into being slightly interested in Avatar. The show is such a quick watch, and it's so good, and so <clears throat> uplifting, and just like well done. I would just recommend that. Like. Full stop to anyone who hasn't seen it. Yeah. Um, it's great. Cool. Well, Chris, I know you've been watching stuff. I have been. Uh, long story short, not to get into too many details, I basically have been uh, on bed rest for a long time and have just now gotten to the point where I'm like able to be up and moving again. So I'm, uh, I've, I've watched a lot. Um, so rather than talk about all of it, I'm going to burn some like stand-up comedian style, the way they burn jokes on late night. Just to say that I watched them, and if you guys are interested, we can talk about them. Um, but just covering a couple things that were new releases that uh, we kind of missed in the watch list absence. I'm ringing the bell for Chris watching new releases. <laughs> but uh, I'm going to start with kind of the bulk of the, the streaming TV shows that I watched. Um, the first show that, I re- that really kind of captured my attention was I watched the newest season of Last Chance U, um, oh. focusing on uh, independence Um and the coach there, it was it's the second like story because the first one they were in EMC and they did two seasons there, and then this one there's Independence and they did two seasons there. Um, really interesting show. Even if you don't love football, it is a great show because it at the heart of it is a critique of the college football system um, and just kind of how you know this is the new like gladiator games. And we put these young men in front of cameras and make them destroy their bodies for our entertainment, and they get nothing from it, typically. Mm-hmm. And they do they spend a lot of time breaking down the statistics, like, you know, especially at Independence, where they've got, you know, of the, like, 60-man roster, there's 15 that think they're going to transition to a Division One program. Of those 15, there are three that might, you know, join the draft. And of those three, there might be one who 
<clears throat> gets drafted and actually starts. Right. So that's the statistics they're dealing with every year. Right. For all these JUCO schools. Um, but it's a really interesting show. The head coach is wildly entertaining. He's a dude out of Compton. And who's just like, I can relate to young black kids who are looking for a way out. Um, well, doesn't know football that well, right? Like X's and O's football? Right. He, he, his main talent is drafting, is, is recruit. Okay. He's a great recruiter and is pulling people from schools. Like, most recently, I know this is getting a little hometowny, but most recently, Georgia Tech kind of had a big turnover with their head coach and that whole offensive scheme uh, changing. Drastically. Um, and so, in the second season, you've got a kid who was poached straight from Georgia Tech. Like, as soon as this was like, you know, smoke on the street, this head coach came over to Georgia Tech and was like, a lot of you guys won't be able to compete in a pro-style offense. Come to Independence, and we'll have a spot for you. Um, so, there's like, that's that's what he does. He, he, can, he can read the systems really well. Nice. Um, Speaking of Last Chance U, uh, do you remember the, from the first season, uh, Ronald Ollie? Yeah. So he was in Hard Knocks this year. Yes, he was with the Raiders. He was he was an invitee to camp, and in the first episode of Hard Knocks, he fails to show up to a meeting. He, well, first off, he has to walk out of practice because he he's injured. Yep. And then doesn't show up to his meeting with the trainer, and is immediately cut. Yep. He's the first cut. He is the first cut out of Raiders camp this year. It was oh. like, man, this is. Yeah. It's just the same shit. Yeah. Coach has a conversation with him. He's like, if you're serious about playing football, you'll show up to your physical therapy. And then he just doesn't show up. Like, what an opportunity squandered. You have such a huge fan base as a fucking, like, as someone who was invited to camp because of a show that created notoriety and the success of EMC. Because it is, like, yeah, was a pretty phenomenal program. But Yeah, he was always, too, like, the lovable asshole. Yeah. yeah. Like, you didn't, like, root for him to fail. You wanted mm-hmm. to succeed, even yeah. though he was a dick yeah like a dick in the not like a like i said he wasn't mean it was just like carry it all i want you to do is carry a fucking notebook and a pencil man right yeah you know cool postscript uh for uh after finishing the fourth uh volume i guess of last chance you is they have a retrospective on emc and they talk about uh the guidance counselor there who was like everyone's favorite uh she spends all of her time now uh her organization is called a million pencils and basically the like whole thrust of it is putting school supplies in the hands of poor uh, college bound students so that like nice. that is never the reason for them to fail. I, uh, I just thought that was That's awesome. great. That was good. So the other show I watched, and I know it's one we've talked about on Facebook, uh, but Veronica Mars season four came out while I was um, down and I think that it is a really interesting season at the very least, even if you didn't love it. Um, because Veronica Mars is a show that went through some tumult that uh, is noteworthy, in my opinion. Um, I personally really liked the fourth season, uh, in addition, um, but just thought that it was a cool show. Do either of you guys DM season four? I have, yes. Uh, I, I did like it. I, I enjoyed it. It's more streamlined as one mystery. Like, it's more focused on the big mystery than yeah. previous Veronica Mars, but I didn't mind that. There is There were fewer mysteries of the week yeah. this season. Um. So, did it come out all at once? Yeah, so maybe that's why. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, I liked it. I think it's. I probably liked it better than season three. Yeah, I did too. Um, season three is the college years one. Mm-hmm. Um, mostly that's just because Piz isn't around anymore, and I just always hated Piz. Right. But, uh, boy, this this uh, I'd forgotten it in my watch list because Veronica Mars season four punched me in the gut at the end and I'm just I'm still trying to recover from it yeah um, so it's a really cool so uh, conversations with um, Rob Thomas not the Matchbox 20 guy um, so this is a show that was on for two seasons almost got cancelled barely revived for a third season then cancelled then crowdfunded a movie and the like the number one crowdfunded film effort ever um, and then uh, basically Hulu bought the rights to a new season. So it's funny because the movie was all fan service. You cannot watch the movie unless you've watched Veronica Mars before, which is the reason why it didn't do great, but it already had its money, so who cares? Mm-hmm. Um, but the fourth season is such a, like, you don't have to watch Veronica Mars beforehand. There are a couple character introductions you wouldn't understand that, like, uh, you know, 
they're cool if you know it, but if not, not a big deal. Um, and it's it's really kind of the whole season feels like it's them cutting the anchor away from the boat. Yeah. To like make future seasons of Veronica Mars being a badass detective. Um, and I think it does a really good job at setting that groundwork. So yeah. I liked you're, it a lot. You're right in that you don't. Because like they, they save, they, they manage to do it for the fans as well as for new people. Because it's like they save Weevil's return for like episode three maybe. Yeah. But it's not a huge deal in the, in the narrative of the season. Yeah. He's just another character, so you wouldn't even notice. Right, and they, they, they write him into a good spot, mm-hmm. where he's like, guy who kind of helps rehab, like, former gang members, but is also kind of in the game. And, like, that's an archetype that exists, so, like, writing him into that makes sense for fans, but it also makes sense if you're just watching this new that that character exists in this world. Um, I'm just mad we didn't get a, a, a Logan Weevil... Uh, pair off episode because the two of them always great together. Yeah, I love them both. Yeah, uh, but my favorite character in that I forget the character's name, but the guy who's in Party Down, like the blonde attractive guy, is oh, now yeah. an, now like a philandering action star. Yes, it's like that is a perfect terminal for this guy. Ryan Hansen, I think maybe is the yeah. actor's name. Yeah, but really recommend season four, uh, mostly because who I think Hulu is going to take this torch and just run with it. I hope so. Um, other TV seasons I'm not going to talk so much about, uh, but I watched, and not like Time Sample, Queer Eye Season 4, great, you know, it's Queer Eye, um, but that came out, and um, the other television show, oh, the the, the newest one is uh, just just wrapped up, maybe middle of last week, uh, watching Mindhunter Season 2. Ooh. Mindhunter was a show that I know at least a couple of us were really high on, um, and Season 2 is a really interesting... Uh, kind of uh, shift in focus from the first season. Whereas the first season is all about like these two detectives kind of proving their new system and proving it works. This season is more about uh, how the system needs to evolve. Like season one is like, this is what we can do. We can pinpoint and we can justify and we can diagnose these profiles of people who are committing crimes of a serial nature um, for, uh, you know, people motivated by, like, sexual gratification with a background in, uh, you know, abuse. And then the second season is like, but that can't be our only model. That can't be our only profile that we build every time, mm-hmm. or else it's pretty unsuccessful. Mm-hmm. And so they start kind of branching out on what and, and how the act of profiling uh, based on behavior uh, works. And it's, uh, it's really neat. Um, the actor who plays Bill Tench is still, like, the fucking highlight. That dude is a granite face that can act better than, like, anyone else on TV right now. I think it's, it's He's he's really good. Um, and it inspired me to watch a couple interviews with John Douglas, the guy that the show's based off of. It's just endlessly fascinating. Um, where And also where in season one we had the side-by-side of, like, the Ed Kemper interview. Um, we have that again this year, but with a Charles Manson interview that BBC Australia did in real life that is, like, I- impeccable how well they created it. <laughs> um, but it's David Fincher, so I'm not that surprised. Sure. <clears throat> he can write a, a gritty crime story super well. Um, so that's it, most of my TV watching, uh, with one exception. Uh, I decided just on a lark that I was going to watch some anime. And so I found this article from Vulture that was... Uh, Zula's using my phone. Um, that was uh, 50 best anime currently streaming on Netflix, even for people who don't watch anime. And I was like, <laughs> great. And, it, and the, the last part was updated August 2019. I was like, oh, perfect. Great. So I went on there and I picked two of them that were like in the... You know, that's not ranked... Uh, but I watched a show, mostly because of the pedigree behind the people who created it, but I watched a show, Neo Yokio. It's a Netflix original, and it's why it's print, yeah, Tokyo, but with a Y and an I instead of the Y. <laughs> Did you get that? <laughs> no. <laughs> um, but Silent nods are great for podcasts, right? <laughs> yeah. Okay. But so here's the details that will also kind of pique your interest. It is starring Jaden Smith as the main character, uh, Jude Law. Uh, a show that I watch on YouTube, Jesus and Mero, and it was created by Ezra Koenig of Vampire Weekend. Whoa. All right. All right. <laughs> so, uh, 
it's an interesting show. I didn't love it. Yeah. Um, I was really hoping to like more about it. It's about kind of like a uh, a stunted high society twenty year old who's just been broken up with, and this uh, society, which is a combination of New York and Tokyo, hence Neo Yokio, um, is trying to they they are very public about like the eligibility of the bachelors. So there is a bachelor board in the center of town which ranks the dudes. Um, and so it's all kind of about like thumbing, it's all thumbing its nose at like high society and fashion and like galas and who you're dating. Um, all while also being about the main character Kaz is a, um, a professional exorcist basically. Um, and so it's an interesting premise and really weird that like, I feel like someone heard that Gerard Way wrote a graphic novel that was being turned into the Umbrella Academy and Ezra Koenig from Vampire Weekend went sick, and just like, <laughs> just like I'm gonna write stuff about fashion and about anime, and it's gonna have cool music. Um, but neat, weird, yeah, neat and weird are probably the best ways to describe it. Good may not be one of the words I would use. <laughs> yeah, um, but the other one I watch is one that people talk about a lot. Um, it's a really divisive anime called Kill La Kill. Um, most notable for how scantily clad the main two female characters are um but at its heart um it is not at its heart it is the one of the only mainstream anime to pass both the Bechdel test and the reverse Bechdel test oh, so weird. it is like really highly uh like venerated in like feminist circles despite the main characters being so scantily clad um but that's actually a major plot element huh. is um and it's all about the show is all about like body acceptance and about like not needing like expensive like highly manufactured clothing, which this was a mistake like completely coincidental that I watched two anime about clothes. That <laughs> um, you don't need that to like realize that you have value. So it kind of turns the like yeah I'm not wearing that many clothes because I don't give a fuck. I'm confident, and that's like a lot of the power of it. Um, but it is a pretty. Standard uh, like battle anime, which is a term kind of reserved for like the main character is going to do stuff, and then there's going to be a big fight, and that big fight's going to take a whole episode, and then there's going to like win or lose, and then they're going to do stuff, and there's going to be another big fight, and it's very like gamified, where like the person who heads up this academy, who she's trying to kill for a revenge plot, has like four major generals, and so she's trying to work her way through those four major generals, um, and so like trains, fights one, beats him, like. Falls, trains, fights, and beats one. At some point, I have to fight all four of them in a row. But it's uh, it was really cool. Um, it reminded me a little bit of like Spider Verse, like the way that they kind of blend animation styles um, and and uh, like animation mediums. They got at certain points uh, blood, which is pretty instrumental to how like these clothes power you up, um, is solely animated using crayon. And so, like, it's really stark to see kind of... Because it's, you know, digital cells, but then you see this kind of crayon layer on top of it huh. for blood. So, like, if someone is, like, cut in the throat and, like, spews blood, there's this really kind of, like, waxy look to it. Um, but it's really neat. I think it's animated expertly. And uh, the it was one of the few I talk about how anime humor doesn't really get me. But in this one, it's, like, because they're kind of throwing the whole, like, fan service, we've got scantily clad, like, young women in our show... They kind of like poke fun at other anime that do that, and I thought that that was like really cool. They kind of, you know, the the main warring parties are this like academy that the revenge story is based on, and then the secret organization, which is called uh, like the nudist beach operation. And so there's lots of like gags about like dudes taking their shirts off, and then them censoring like male nipples that I think is clever. But that's the. That's probably the, the wildest thing I watched, and I, I would recommend it. It's kind of a fun little, you know, fun little, well-animated show. Kill a kill. Yep, it's on, on Netflix. Netflix. Um, and then I watched a bunch of movies. I might actually save some of these movies the next time we do a watch list. But since I'm being positive, I won't talk about a couple that I wanted to. Um, but I will just say, Mortal Engines is wild. Yeah. Mortal Engines is so wild. It is insane that this movie was created by Peter Jackson. Uh, it's just so... I mean, and you probably knew it was crazy, but it's not... It It was endearing to me because I was like, what's this movie about cities driving around eating other cities? 
And then I watched it and I went, oh, it's not good. Everyone else who saw it was right. <laughs> it's not good. Uh, Peter Jackson used the person, not used the person, the person who directed this movie was brought on because they were the visual effects person for The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings. So, like, perfect choice about a movie about giant cities yeah. that roll around like tanks and destroy each other. Um, but terrible choice when the movie doesn't really focus on that much. Um, so, all the, like, interpersonal stuff and the, like, plot and the small dialogue between actors, not very good. But all the big, cool cities chasing each other and, like, sh- like the inventiveness of like the different like land craft and aircraft is like awesome um so completely wild visual spectacle not a great movie hmm so was it streaming on something or did you run it it's on HBO oh cool I've basically been watching HBO new releases like a hawk yeah every time a new one came out like I watched Aquaman as soon as it was on HBO I watched Mortal Engines as soon as it was on HBO because I need like new shit yeah because I've been watching old shit for six weeks now right (laughs) but I'm going to cut my watch list off there. Um, there's other stuff on here. Nothing that I feel too excited about, um, except just remember that Leonardo DiCaprio's film debut was Critters 3, and I watched it, and it's a terrible movie. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Y'all got some breezies? Um, well... Shalhoub Watch! Emmy's nominations came out since the last time we did this. Did he get nominated? People are saying Tony Shalhoub. This is his year. Best supporting actor from a comedy. Oh, uh, for... Uh, Maisel. Maisel. Yeah. Yeah. There's a bunch of trailers that have come out. Brent, what do you think about those trailers? <laughs> I haven't seen them. Don't plan to. All right. Then we won't talk about them. We'll spoil for Brent. <laughs> I don't care. No, I actually saw... You, wait, you care more than us, <laughs> obviously, about trailers. <laughs> I saw... Um, some have been unavoidable. I saw some snippets of Star Wars. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, which is fine, but... You saw the initial one, too. Yeah, it's mostly... I avoid trailers if I can on movies I don't know anything about. Yeah. Well, let me say this. I listened to a movie podcast where they just did a breakdown of the Mandalorian trailer and the D23, like, new footage trailer. Mm-hmm. And they said, they they called the new uh, Rise of the Skywalker. What's it called? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, they called that trailer a perfect trailer because it just teases everything and doesn't... doesn't expose much about the plot or anything. Star Wars trailer's been doing that for several years now. Like, the yeah. Force Awakens one didn't give away too much. The And so, I'm... I'm a lot of trailers on these big, epic kind of action movies don't do that now. I mean, I think MCU now is famously using scenes that they shot just for the trailer that aren't even in the movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, like... Star Wars has done that, too. Right. Yeah. So, they're the opposite of spoiling. They're, like, showing you something that literally doesn't exist. It's a tease. I forget what the one on the... Uh, on Infinity War was, but I think it was like... It was Hulk running through the woods. That's right. Hulk fighting with everybody and Hulk's never in it. Rogue yeah. One had probably the most notable, which is her getting to the end and seeing this like TIE fighter right in front of her. Oh, it was which, never in the movie. Which doesn't yeah. happen. Also, her dressed as a TIE fighter pilot. Yeah. yeah. Not in the movie. Right. Those yeah. are my favorite parts of Rogue One. The, the, the two things in the trailer that didn't make it in the movie. All the bits that subvert your expectations. Yeah. You sound like Star Wars fans. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, cool trailers if you're willing to spoil yourself. The last Joker trailer is fucking phenomenal. Yeah. It looks so good. Yeah, it is. And it's another trailer that, like, it doesn't really give much away. It kind of gives away the tone uh, of the conflict. Out of the plot. Yeah, it gives away the tone of the conflict between uh, the Joker and who I'm guessing is going to be his main antagonist, or at least the, the reason why he uh, is experiencing these villain esque moments. Uh, De Niro's character, but other than that, you don't really know much about it. Getting great reviews, by the way. It's I think like a like a eighty on Metacritic, I believe, um, and it's a ninety one percent on Rotten Tomatoes. What if this whole movie was just? It was actually just a. Uh, they were crossing two characters. They were crossing DC's Joker with Steve Miller's Joker, and the movie just starts. He's like, some people call me Maurice. <laughs> And then it's just uh, it's just two hours of him of the Joker from DC acting out that song, <laughs> the Joker, because <laughs> the gangster of love is where Dark Knight right. starts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, there, let's see any any like Greenlot movies. Uh, well, I guess the Matrix Four. Yeah, is happening. 
Yeah, uh, only Lana's coming back for it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I'm I'm in. I'll watch another Matrix movie. Yeah, sure. Why not? Keanu Reeves is so hot right now, too. Like, <laughs> yeah. So I'm definitely on board. Um, Carrie Ann Moss coming back, despite being killed off in the third movie. Yeah, and I had mentioned in the pre-show, uh, Morpheus has been killed off in canon also. So, so I'm pretty luckily, sure... Luckily, the logic of the Matrix has always been a little shaky, so yeah. they can bend it to their will. Anything else? Uh, I, got, I got some news out of the video game space. Kind of the topic du jour right now is related to the game Cyberpunk 2077. Um, this is not a Chris shakes his fist at the internet moment, but Cyberpunk 2077 has removed in the character creation option the default of choosing male or female. They've just removed it completely, um, probably because they just think that using all the tools to create your character, you can create it however you want. If you want them to look what you think a female looks like, you can do that if you want to look like what a male looks like. So that's like the heart of the story. Um, but the uh, the news part of it is that people are losing their minds because they're like, I can't believe this progressive agenda has forced us that now we can't identify as a man if we want to um, in your character creation options. Um, but it's, I think it's cool that CD Projekt Red is like, you know what? We give you so many tools. Yeah. Uh, you can. Yeah. You, you, just, you, just, you just did. You yeah. name your character <laughs> Mr. Man Dude. <laughs> Yeah, I just I, I think it's 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 not forward thinking from a from an agenda standpoint, but forward thinking of CD Projekt Red to, to just be like advancing the technology to the point where it's like we don't care what you want your character to look like. We'll give you the tools that whatever you want, you'll be able to make. Sounds like it's easier to program anyway without having to decide all that. Yeah, here's the character. Design it wherever you want to. Name it whatever you want to. It's basically taking defaults out of it. It's yeah. like there's no. There's no like default that's here's your man canvas that you can now make look like your man. Right. Here's your woman canvas that you can now make look like your woman. It's just like here's a blank slate, do whatever you want. Especially because it's in the genre of cyberpunk, which has famously been very like bleeding edge on this kind of shit. Where like in Transmetropolitan, one of the graphic novels that's like really out there, like there are like trans specious movements that are talked about, like people who are like injecting like alien blood and DNA in them so they look like they've got like big gray heads and big black round eyes. Right. Like in a cyberpunk game to care so much about your like not even transphobic, but your trans cautious ideas just seems like the wrong game. Yeah. But uh, that was an interesting bit of news, you know, good on C D Project Red and it's gonna be a fucking blockbuster game that, you know, it's gonna clean house with awards, so We'll talk about it again at some point. Nice. Uh, I will say, David and I have our first Oscar, Oscar predictions uh, for the nominations up on the website. Article posted last week, mm-hmm. if you're listening to this on your date. Um, so go check that out. We'll update it every month and see how wrong we can be. We'll be pretty wrong. Okay. I'm guessing. I want to read it. I'm looking forward to it. Because it'll also sculpt what I watch in the next like four months. Right. Uh, and what to watch next weekend? It Chapter 2. I'll watch It Chapter 2. It's, uh, it made so much fucking money. Over $300 million the first one did, which still is crazy. Um, that nothing's opening up against it. That's worth noting. Speaking of Send in the Clowns. Yeah. Y'all think this outsells the original? That's the, normally the case with sequels. But $300 million for a horror movie is a lot. No. I, I want to say yes just because I want I want this movie to win. I kind of want to say no too, but I, that would make me... The only way that's possible is if we're saying that the first one had a lot of repeat viewers, I feel like. I don't think anybody that went and saw that is not going to go see this one. Right. Uh, maybe some... I think some just wanted to... The first one got a whole lot more of a... I feel like a marketing blitz. Oh, I feel like I'm getting fucking bombarded with it's like Pennywise. Really, it's I like half this. of the Google News movies page huh. is like they talk about their scariest moments, the cast in other movies or whatever. Yeah, or like here's Bill Hader interviewing Finn Wolfhard. Fucking everywhere. I think I think a lot of people. I think maybe you'll have people who went to see the first one just to see that Pennywise. Yeah, I, th- I think that they've lost a lot. Of, they've lost the surprise factor. Yeah, they'll they'll catch it on HBO or something or whatever. 
Um, but I, yeah, we'll see. It'll be interesting. I want to be wrong, but I, my my bet is that it underperforms. I don't know what they're probably projecting, but if the first one made three hundred, I would anticipate this to make two seventy five or something. So I bet it'll be close. Yeah. Well, I think that's it. All right. Take well, us out, That was Talkie Talk, and you are done listening. Release. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, may, you may return to your normal activities. We release you from your earthly bonds. <laughs> Thank you. And uh, do the movie groups, and do the TV groups, and do the uh, video game groups. Do the puzzle. <laughs> do the movie groups. Do, do, do. Um, and... Uh, Rate us, subscribe, like us, love us, live us, breathe us, eat us, and last but not least, thank you, Willow Walkers. Thank you. And thank you, Burifa. Burifa. Yay. And thank you, listeners. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Bye, guys. Kicking rocks down old dusty roads. Small town, slow pokes, long time ago. Kicking out records of all the things that I know All the things that I know